Because when I first started working for NCCOM, I noticed that all of the interviews that were related to acupuncture were medical doctors. And that was something that was, I was concerned. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. Speaking what's true carries a risk. It'll paint a target on your back. It allows the possibility of inhabiting wider and stronger contradictions. Stand in your truth and get ready to be misunderstood. Get ready for hatred and accolades, both of which you don't deserve. But more, get ready to come face to face with your own inconsistencies and blind spots. Sometimes I think I should talk more about clinical bits that I found helpful discuss methods that I find interesting or helpful or that I don't understand, but I'm in the process of figuring out. But it seems that when I sit down to consider what's on my mind each week, it tends to take a personal bend. For me, the practice of medicine is completely enmeshed in who a person is. There are so many methods that can help us to understand how we do our work. Choose the one you like. And we have to have a certain amount of know-how, of technique, of skill. But beyond the how is the who. Who is doing this work? The spirit we bring to it, it's not the same as skill, but it does allow for skillful means. Spring here in the Midwest is lusciously textured. The veracity with which life exudes itself is in stark contrast to the feeling of lockdown fear that permeates our human world in this moment of time. The time away from my practice, love it as I do, has been a much-needed respite. I'm grateful for the time away. It's helped me to realize that with all that my practice gives me and the opportunities it affords me to both make a living and do something with my life that has meaning, stepping away for this period of time has given me some relief and a sense of being unburdened. I say this without complaint. It's a burden that I've willingly shouldered. But until recently, I didn't know I was caring. The burden arises because I care. It arises in taking time to study deeper that which I don't clearly understand. It comes from holding myself accountable and responsible. And it comes from being willing to say yes, a big yes, to learning the ins and outs of business as much as about medicine. And a yes to what seems to be an unending process of correcting misconceptions and errors in judgment. So I'm sitting with this sense of feeling unburdened, not as an enemy or an unwelcome visitor, but more as a skilled advisor to see what it has to say. Recognize with a little less self-importance that the practice of medicine is rich with opportunities. It's not a bad way to make a living in the world. But at this moment, I'm sitting in the deep recognition that it has asked for more than I had bargained for. There is a sense of relief in not having to care for others. But I'm not sure that that's the whole story. I suspect there are as yet unpacked gifts that might arise by more fluidly inhabiting the spectrum of burden and privilege that goes along with practicing medicine. I didn't expect this to show up. It was and it continues to be a surprise to me. I can't say I understand it, but understanding rarely comes at the beginning when I've got a hunch about something. Understanding, if it does arrive, comes after investigating what seems true, even if I can't tell you why it's so. This recognition of feeling unburdened seems like an invitation, and one of the gifts of the liminal space 
that's been created by our present conditions and circumstances. And it invites me into the exploration of what I feel unburdened from. And just like the practice of medicine, there are rarely easy answers. What about you? If you take a moment, this moment, pause. What has arisen in you in this past month of disruption that's been a surprise to you? In a moment, we're going to be getting into a conversation with Mina Larson, the CEO of the NCCAOM, and Efwa Bromley, who is a member at large of the Board of Commissioners. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lyle, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. 
If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up in available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. We know that crisis brings opportunity, and I'm delighted to share a conversation with you about how our National Accrediting Association is handling the challenges of this time and keeping an eye out for opportunities that will help to promote our profession. Hey folks, welcome to Geological. I've got a special episode here. I've got a couple of folks from the NCCAOM with me today here in the midst of our COVID spring. We're going to talk about some of the challenges and some of the opportunities that we have as acupuncturists. So I have uh, Mina Larson and Ephra Bromley. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Ephra, my fellow Missourian, let's start with you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Michael. Um, my name is Ephra Bromley. I am a licensed acupuncturist and I've been in practice for 21, going on 22 years. I am the immediate past chair of NCCOM and started have actually always been involved kind of one of those things i this is my second career and my former career as a middle school math and science teacher one of the things that really resonated with me that i took into our profession was the need for organization so beginning really in school and then continuing on into practice really understanding that the only way that our profession is going to move forward is our ability to unify and to work together. So when I moved to Missouri, I actually came here to accept an appointment on the regulatory board. So I wrote the rules and regulations, co-wrote the rules and regulations for Missouri, been president of the association, been involved with state associations, big state association proponent, and initially got involved volunteering for with the NCCOM, really because I had some suggestions for improving uh, the apprenticeship program and understanding, because I do have a background in organizing, community organizing too. Um, If you're going to criticize something, you better come up with a solution that's thoughtful um, and got roped in then (laughs) to uh, volunteer on subsequent committees and then eventually uh, applied to and was appointed on the board. And then again, um, I'm now a media past chair. I still am serving on the board, but um, I really feel like our certification um, through NCCOM is absolutely critical in terms of the longevity of our profession and what it's going to take for us to continue practicing. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and thank you for getting that law written here in the state of Missouri. It means that I get to practice here. I wasn't, I will say I was in school when the law was getting passed, but I ended up writing the, um, co-writing the rules and regulations. Thanks to Greg Boyle, who's one of the long-term um, licensees here, really was a mentor to me in terms of making sure that we have a broad enough scope so that we have one of the, actually one of the better laws in the U.S., yeah, great. We're gonna. I, I want to get into scope a little bit later, but we'll we'll dig into that, especially 
uh, with this whole new telemedicine thing, which we'll touch bases on a little bit. Mina, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Michael. Um, my name is Mina Larson. I am the Chief Executive Officer for the NPCOM. I started my journey in 2003 working for NCCOM. I've been there for 17 and a half years. And my um, experience with NCCOM comes from um, some health questions that I had um, years ago and that I struggled with um, to the point where Western medicine, I felt, had failed me. And I wanted to make sure that I really tried different types of integrative medicine. And acupuncture really started working for me to the point where my health was significantly improved. I had originally trained as a journalist and worked for different political offices in California. I worked for um, California legislature, legislative offices. I worked for um, California Governor Pete Wilson's office and his communications office. And I also had a legal background. But when I experienced the health crisis, really it enabled me to pause and think about um, myself, life, what's important in terms of healthcare, and it allowed me to have a shift to refocus um, my goals. And that's when I found about I found that about NC STEM. And I remember there was a, a nice ad in the Washington Post. I opened it and I saw um, Director of Communications, NCCOM, and it was like just glared out at me. And I said, you know what? I've heard of this organization. This is where I actually found a wonderful qualified acupuncturist. I'm going to go apply. So I did. And um, unfortunately, I started working in the different areas of NCCOM from regulatory affairs, um, from areas really advocating at the state level. So when I first started working for the NCCOM, I noticed that all of the interviews that were related to acupuncture were medical doctors. And that was something that was I was concerned. I said, well, this, we need to have the spotlight needs to be on us. So I started working with media groups and um, our own diplomats throughout different parts of the country to really get them to advance and become grassroots advocates for um, acupuncture and East Asian medicine. And we did. And we started seeing really increased number of articles and and, and mentions of, uh, within the media. So that was a very important uh, mission of mine. This is a really unusual time. And, you know, and you guys, I mean, both of you love the medicine, appreciate what the medicine does, drawn deeply to the work. And you know, with advocacy and making sure that there's licensure and that and that acupuncturists can work as acupuncturists. And we've got this really unique moment in time called COVID-19, where it seems like there are some things that we can do that would be very, very helpful, especially with the herbal medicine in particular, especially with what we're seeing coming out of China and some of the great results that people have been having there. And yet in some ways we're really sidelined here as all the attention goes to the conventional medicine. I'm wondering if you're seeing any opportunities for us at this moment in time of advancing the medicine and what those might be and how we might take advantage of those. Um, I could take that. I think one of the opportunities is, one is in as many ways as we possibly can, continuing to educate, use our connections where we have them, I see a number of physicians. I have, um, I know a number of people see physicians, educating them from, and really from an educational standpoint, sharing some of the information that is coming out of China. I always caution people, and I've been on a number of webinars and really since all this started and a little bit before, I always tell people, be careful with herbal claims. So when we talk about 
efficacy and we we talk about possibilities, make sure that we're using our language. Semantics matters. The FDA has actually been pretty aggressive with cease and desist orders and going after people who are saying, oh, I treat COVID-19 and I'm using, you know, this formula, that formula. So for I always really caution people. And I know the ASA has also put out some some thoughts on that too. Um, so make sure that we say that based on the current information, this is these are some of the things that are coming out of China. Um, and it's pretty varied. I mean, I've again, I've sat in on a number of webinars. I think we always need to go back to our roots, talking about differential diagnosis, making mm-hmm. sure that we understand that, you know, particularly with viruses and how they present you still need to do differential diagnosis because the manifestations may be different from patient to patient, which also makes sense because you see even in terms of pattern syndromes, you know, a cold is not a cold is not a cold. A cold can be any number of things. So really making sure that we don't get too hung up on the biomedicine components with the exception of, yes, there are some herbs that have some um, antiviral properties. That's been well-documented, making sure that we're trying to stay up and doing as much research as we can. But a lot of it is educating people. We know that there's a lot of opportunities for maybe collaboration coming down the pipe. Um, So it's right in this moment, we can take care of our patients using telehealth, telemedicine, as much as we can through through video, um, doing differential diagnosis that way and trying to figure out what's appropriate for our patients to, even if it's from the standpoint of immune boosting. I've done newsletters, again, but staying, even with that, staying within your scope. So I have herbal training. You have herbal training, Michael. Many of us do have herbal training. Some of us do not. Um, That's one of the other things is if you haven't had herbal training, Unless you're starting a program now, stay in your lane. Do not start practicing herbal medicine when you don't have an understanding of it. This is this is not the time to be playing around. So again, it's there's a lot of opportunities. I think there's also a lot of cautions. It's going to be interesting seeing how some of the larger systems like Cleveland Clinic has their own herbal pharmacy in-house. So seeing how they are able to utilize some Chinese medicine, you know, herbal medicine in particular, certainly there's um, in Taiwan and what's coming out of China. I mean, there's that whole huge research booklet. I don't even know how many books, the compilation of books that's coming out, but. Right. Huge. Yeah. They've really been on it and they've been documenting like crazy and they've been pretty generous with sharing what they're finding. And I think we really need to make sure that we are you know, in addition to our differential diagnosis, we also need to be paying attention to the research. The more educated and informed we are, the more we can communicate with other people. And we need to look at it, not really from us versus them, but let's share some knowledge. Let's try to figure out what maybe is most effective. Mm -hmm. The folks over at Chen Long Society are, are pulling together case studies uh, and asking people to submit uh, cases that they've treated as, as as a way of bringing all of this together. So what I'm hearing from you, Ephra, is that 
in some ways are the opportunity for us in this is is to do what we do is to stay true to our medicine to practice chinese medicine as chinese medicine not get sidetracked with oh virus and and what that might mean from a biomedicine point of view but really do our medicine do it the way that that chinese medicine practitioners have done it for a long time and do what we can to educate the people around us especially perhaps those that might be in a position of influence in the medical community and try yes. to be a support yes yeah. Mina, what about you? What are some of the opportunities that you, and challenges for that matter? Well, I, th I think Rafa um, really mentioned some of the challenges and really ensuring that although it's, it sounds exciting and, and beneficial to treat COVID directly, I think there's a very big opportunity for us to be treating um, patients in the recovery phase of COVID. Um, as you mentioned, immune building is an important part of what people want to be able to experience. I really want to bring the subject of mental health because, in, in my opinion, there's been a big gap in terms of how Western medicine has been able to deal with mental health. We all know that there's a huge mental health crisis in the U.S. You just look at some of the statistics that you see, some of the situations we've seen in mass shootings. There's a void. And I think that this is a void that we can fill as acupuncturists. Many of us um, are trained to be able to depression, PTSD, anxiety, stress. Stress is a big component that we don't talk enough about. Pain management is something that we've been focusing on for a long time with, with, uh, with the opiate epidemic and, and some of the crises that happened right before COVID. But now that I want to make sure that we recognize stress as something that really almost all of us are experiencing and it's going to be increasing. You know, we're, we just, we're experiencing the, um, the, the roller coaster of COVID right now. We're going to get a little bit of a, a lull between the next wave as we are hearing from the CDC and others. So I want to make sure that we, during this time, we're really preparing ourselves with our messaging, with our practice and with one another to be able to treat mental health. This is very important. And why I think this is important is that I know, um, with pain management and some of the some of the areas that we have been focusing on, there's been a big scope issue of sometimes difficulty or dialogue with physical therapists and dry needling and with chiropractors and nurses in terms of them treat, doing their um, acupuncture versus what we do in our training. With mental health, this is something that we really do have the training to do. Most acupuncturists are treating patients from, from stress and anxiety. This is, I, I know myself as a as someone who sees my acupuncturist regularly, it's important for, for us to be able to really showcase to the public consumers that this is what we do. And this is how we can have a, we can have a big leverage um, acupuncture and East, East Asian medicine to be able to um, be part of healing the country. And we're all going to be recovering from not just COVID-19, but from, the, from just the economic situation that we're all in, the stressful situation that we're all in. Right. It's all the downstream stuff. I mean, I think your point's really well taken. With proper herbal training and televisionary medicine, we we can help people with COVID or recovering from COVID. But it seems that there's so many other issues. I mean, the mental health issues really do. I mean, we already had these in the country. Now we're putting people condensed into their homes taking away the usual social interactions. We're social animals. We're social creatures. We depend, even us introverts, we depend deeply on our social interactions. And without those, it's difficult. And so that's that's definitely a place where our medicine shines. Right. And and, and oftentimes, in speaking to the media and consumers, I'm traveling, you know, before COVID-19, I traveled a lot and talking to a lot of everyday Americans about the usage of acupuncture in East Asian medicine, many don't under, don't realize or understand the benefits and efficacy of acupuncture, herbs, 
and everything, you know, lifestyle change for mental health and how we can be a part of that solution. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Yeah, it, you know, a lot of folks think acupuncture is just for pain. It's very good for treating pain, but yes, it, it, it is our job to let folks know that it does a whole lot more. Um, I want to touch, F, would you have something um, else to Just say? one other point. I think, um, as, as both of you just mentioned, us really getting to be advocates about the depth and breadth of our medicine. So just to, to really make sure that we are our own advocates with, with our patients and get them to also educate other people. A lot of times, you know, our patients can be our best advertisers and educating other people about. Yeah. So do good work because that advocates, that advocates us. Yeah. I want to dip into this telemedicine thing, okay? I'm a, uh, I mean, I'm fairly adept and I like technology. I'm keen on it, actually. I've got a podcast. And at the same time, I'm hearing that there's this almost like a gold rush mentality. It's like, let's all get online and we're going to do our thing online. It's like telemedicine, folks. And, 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 I've, and I've talked to people and heard things, everything from, yeah. I sold thousands of dollars in one week of product off my website to boost immunity to people saying, you know what, I just might take retirement because if I can't do this in person, then, then I don't have anything to do. And it raises the question for me, again, I'm, I'm sort of a, a technophile, but it raises the question for me of what can we really do online? How can we take our medicine? online work within our scope of practice and do this in an ethical fashion i'm wondering if you guys have any ideas about that i think the answer is going to be different for different people i think there are a lot of opportunities i think you also need to have a good feeling about who you are as an individual practitioner so there are some people who are just really uncomfortable with the whole telemedicine i just absolutely don't want to see patients via online. And maybe that's not going to be you. And maybe it doesn't fit your patients. I mean, I can tell you that I think I've had two people sign up for a telehealth. I've had a lot of patients texting me, asking me, you know, I, so it's also a different and mindset for patients too, to, I mean, our profession is one that people actually want to have our hands on them. 
and and be present. So I think that by and large, that is still likely the way that we're going to primarily practice once we're kind of out of this realm. But it does allow the possibility for, you know, maybe some of us retain some portion of possibility for telehealth for people who maybe can't physically come to the office, but, and just have quick questions. Maybe that, maybe that is what it shakes out that for some people who actually like it or find that there's a certain percentage of their patients who actually find telehealth to be a better option for them. Maybe that's five, that becomes 5% of your practice. Maybe it becomes, you see two to three people a week using telehealth and you still have your regular patients, uh, you know, as you're coming in, maybe it means that you don't really necessarily love conversing with patients via video or whatever means you do, but maybe you start recording little two to five minutes YouTube sessions for patients, helping them to be able to learn how to do better self-care. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways that we can think about it. Um, I have a colleague who's, he's a marketing guru, basically, and he's been after me for probably five years to start doing a series of educational self-help webinars. Um, and now I wish I had actually done it when he <laughs> had asked me, you know, well, you should really do this, Eva. Taking the model of workshops that I've done for so many different groups, that is a huge opportunity because that's not necessarily interactive. That's something that can potentially bring in residual income for practitioners. So I think the sky is open. We're just actually, you know, the the world or the universe has given us the pause button reorient, rethink how you want to do things. Think about how you not only want to practice, but what's most effective. For those of us who, um, I have a very busy practice, I'm going to actually have to slow way down when I start, when I reopen. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to probably cut out about 30% of my open slots just to be responsible for me in terms of how I think to practice. But I would invite all of us to rethink how to do things. Um, We know that many acupuncturists have been struggling financially in terms of building up their practice. So maybe really thinking about these other means of imparting the same lifestyle information, nutrition information, self-care information using acupressure points. I mean, there's so many different opportunities that we can take advantage of, and those are all within our scope. It gets a little tricky, according to the American Acupuncture Council, about seeing people who don't live in your state. That is not my area of expertise, and Mina can probably may be able to talk a little bit more about that from a regulatory standpoint. But certainly, you can disseminate information with regards to acupressure points, that kind of thing, and that could be that could be global. And now's a good time to do all that because you probably got time. And if you don't, and if you don't have time. Then whatever that thing that you're doing right now that's taking your time is probably something good to work on. Yep, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, and that is a good point. So to add to what you said, Apua, I think there are, as you mentioned, we're all in a pod right now. This is an opportunity to reflect and, and redo things that were not working for us. And but I also want to describe this this whole situation in terms of COVID nineteen as that the fast forward has been pushed, the fast forward button has been pushed on technology. 
So as you see, you know, most of us are now communicating through the whole Zoom or any type of platform. You know, um, you, you look at you watch some of the shows are now all done through remote ways. This is going to be something that I think will continue to go on as we're really looking at what we can do in the in, to prepare for the next wave of COVID-19 uh, infection. So part of acupuncture services that include, like, for example, the practice of Chinese herbs, as you mentioned, diet and lifestyle changes, acupressure, supplements, tongue diagnosis. I even found out that there's a way that you can actually do pulse you know, through a, an app. Anyway, so for those that are interested in doing it, there are opportunities that you mentioned. Some people might not be, but I really do encourage acupuncturists to look into it. Um, rather than just be the next hottest thing around, it's to really do a meaningful search to see if this is for you. And if it is, then really look at the options out there. There's a lot of different platforms that do different things with telehealth. Uh, in terms of the, the the regulatory aspect of it, yes, every state has different laws in terms of being able to treat patients that are not within your the state boundaries. So I know that HHS is really looking at revamping the telehealth regula- regulations. At that time, I know it, it was... Before COVID, it was fairly restrictive. I know nurses and MDs and others had had started using it. It hadn't really been rolled out the way that it's being rolled out now. But as I said, everything is moving in very fast fashion. So HHS is really looking at empowering different professions to be able to participate in telehealth. But with our profession, the conundrum is is Medicare. And that's one thing we really need to look at. A lot of the participants um, that are part of telehealth within HHS are Medicare providers. So this is something that we have to work on as a profession. Um, we had a, a meeting or a, or a town hall last night through the ASA and NCC. We talked about our, our lobbyists was there and talked about changes that need to happen within Medicare that need to happen at the congressional level in terms of a, a congressional act. So that will really help open the doors for acupuncturists to be providers and also participate through state lines, through uh, Medicare, and through telehealth. What we have to do is, in the meantime, use other resources to be able to get out there. Um, Afwa mentioned doing YouTube videos. I just talked to a practitioner who works within the Department of Defense, and she's already created all sorts of different techniques to do acupressure, to do you know, self-acupressure, or to be able to do different types of lifestyle changes through her YouTube channel. Those are different ways that you can be able to communicate with your patients. And again, if you are really interested in doing telehealth and you want to do it now, I really implore you to check um, your state licensing regulations to see what are the regulations within my state? What what can I do and can I not do in terms of being able to treat patients that are outside of my state? If you, Let's say you live in Virginia and you want to treat somebody in Maryland. You want to go ahead and look at both scopes of um, practices and both um, rules and regulations for both states to see what you can do. A lot of states have provisions for emergency when there's a situation where, where you need to have licensed um, acupuncturists work in an emergency setting. You want to look at that as well and see if this qualifies. So as complicated as it is, I really want us to really take the time to look at our practice, see if we can go ahead and give it a what I call a digital boost so that we can be able to bring our medicine forth and way beyond the, the old the old method that we were doing. And again, not for you, we understand that, but I think everyone needs to really be able to look at those opportunities. I'm wondering about scope of practice issues. So for example, I know that we do dietary advice and and we do that from a Chinese medicine perspective. I, I suspect in our clinics, we also bring in some Western medicine as well and, and you know some basic nutrition. That's also part of our scope of practice. I'm wondering in the telehealth world, 
like where those lines are on what is our special, uh, not speciality, what is in our scope and what might be getting toward the lines, right? So for example, I, I know we do lifestyle advice and that kind of thing, but like, where's that line between lifestyle advice and counseling? It gets really muddy. It gets, and particularly herbs too. Let's say you're in a state like, for example, the state of Florida that actually has um, rules and regs for the practice of herbs. And you're, you are actually giving advice to a state that does not have herbs within their scope. What happens there? You know, what, what are your responsibilities? So it really does get a little bit muddy when you're, when you're crossing state lines. And particularly when you're giving somebody information, like you said, you're giving nutritional advice and the patient starts asking for more. Where do you stop? But I think these are areas that we really need to look at and be able to get more guidance on. Again, it does have to happen at the state level, particularly when situations like COVID really force the states to have to look at their practice acts and see if they need to put further definitions into being able to expand the scope of acupuncture to be able to go ahead and provide those services. And if I can add to that, just with regards to, for example, if we're talking about nutrition, most states' scopes of practice are pretty generous in their interpretation, meaning that if it is something that is commonly taught in an acupuncture school, it is considered within your scope um, of practice. And most schools have not only medicine, Chinese herbal medicine and nutrition from our standpoint, but also ventures into kind of, I would, whether we want to call it Western medicine or general nutrition also in addition to our training. So that's pretty, that's pretty broad. That interpretation is pretty broad. The counseling, I think gets really muddied because counseling is part of our training. However, it is more, it is very generic. This is where I would say we as practitioners really have to self-regulate and understand we are not counselors. We are not actually trained as counselors. We are not trained adequately at all in that. What we are trained in is to recognize certain patterns in order to refer. So there's a big difference in having a basic understanding of another another profession in order to refer to that profession and doing it yourself. We are absolutely not trained as, as counselors. So you can listen <laughs> because many of our patients do tend to talk. And then we can also refer them to an appropriate therapist, be it a clinical psychologist, a psychologist, a professional counselor, an MSW. There's a whole host, depending on your state, a pretty wide variety of people. But really understanding and self-regulating there that your role as a practitioner is not to be a counselor. It would be one of those things that within our scope that could, you know, unless somebody actually complained, it probably would never come up with a challenge. However, just in terms of being the best kind of practitioner you can be, you really have to monitor yourself. It, it's one of those questions that comes up for me because when I think about going online and doing what I do online, a big piece of it is listening to people, trying to suss out what are the resources that they have that they may not be so in touch with. And then to use my Chinese medicine thinking, ideally to put needles in them, to, put, to hook them up with that. Because I can't use needles right now, is there some way that I can interact with them that would help me to give them those resources? And so the question comes up for me. Where is that line? Because I am often giving them some suggestions or ideas or things to do, 
in terms of lifestyle or, or just looking at things in a different way. And I think as a lot of us start getting online and going, well, what is it that I actually have to offer? I think that that connection, that human connection piece is something many of us would say, we do that and we do it pretty well, as do therapists. And so, you know, again, I don't know where those lines are. I just want to be cognizant that, oh, there are, there are these very fuzzy boundaries, as we just all stated, and, and to bring some awareness to that and, and just be careful. It's interesting you stated that, Michael, because um, a lot of my staff were dealing with the customers' relations and, and talking to our diplomates, recertifying them and helping them. A lot of them are just calling just to talk to someone. They don't even have any business grants, and they're just calling because they're lonely. They need information. They, they want someone to listen to. So my staff is doing that. They're talking to them. And, and, and so they called me and they said, this is unusual. We've never seen this before. But people need to just have someone to talk to. I think this is an important part to recognize that and be able to have, you know, a plan of action as you're talking to patients, particularly we've talked about mental health before. There are patients that are going through either had pre-existing conditions or now have or have new conditions as we're dealing with this epidemic. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Okay. I'd like to turn for a moment I'm concerned about all those folks that are finishing up their acupuncture education right now. Oh man, can you imagine? You've been, you've been working all this time. Now you're coming up. You come. You come down the final stretch here. You can't do your work in clinic. I, I'm wondering. I'm asking this on their behalf. How is this going to impact their licensing with the NCCAOM? How's this going to impact their testing, their licensing? fulfilling all the requirements that they might need to fulfill if they just don't have the actual clinical hours with their hands on people. Have you guys given some thought to that or looking at, at how to work with this particular situation? I think a lot of a lot of brand new to be acupuncturists are a little concerned at this moment. They are. And we understand, um, you know, we've really taken the time to think about this, even in the beginning of, uh, we actually had a board meeting right at the when everything was starting to close. And we had a very thoughtful uh, plan of action for our um, for 
every segment for students, for our diplomates, because we knew what was going to be happening. There are some, there's some good news about this. So ACOM has been very proactive. The uh, Accreditation Commission for uh, Acupuncture Oral Medicine that accredits the schools. They've put together some emergency waivers to be able to allow schools to teach didactic and clinical courses remotely through distance education. Of course, they've put together some criteria to be able to do that. You just can't do clinical online. You have to have the technology. There's some outcomes that they have to put together. That's all on ACOM's website. So the schools were encouraged to really look at those guidelines to be able to create online um, courses for students. A lot of the schools have been able to do that, which the good news is that some of the education is being able to be completed through um, these, uh, these waivers that ACOM has put together. On the NCCM side, we recognize that as well. So one of the things that we have done is that we have put together uh, also uh, a, a temporary emergency waiver on the requirement for graduation. So, so before, we had a requirement that if you are an NCCM, if you are a student, you actually have to have finished your education. You have to have graduated from your school, sent into graduation transcripts, and have completed the CNT. And then once you do that, then you can apply and then you can start taking the exams. So for this year, for 2020, for, from March um, until the end of this year, we are waiving that requirement of having that graduation transcript sent if you're going to be graduating this year. So if you're a student graduating this year, you can um, contact the school and let your school know that you want to be eligible to take the applying for the, the NCSM exams. And then this, we work with the school. If we don't work with individual candidates, the school sends us a list of those candidates that are eligible to graduate this year. And then through that um, contact list, we are allowing those students to take the exam early. Now, it's very important, and I want to make sure, Michael, I'll let everyone know this. You have to have completed everything, passed the exam successfully, done your CNT or needle technique, and had spent your graduation transcript before you can be NCC certified. If you just pass the exams, does not mean you're certified. You have to actually do that process. And that'll also that'll give a an advantage to those to, to students that are graduating this year. We realize that because you know, we, people want to get licensed, they want to get going. You know, there's there's this anxiety happening. Um, you know, in terms of being able to take the exams. And as you know, almost every single testing center in this country is closed. I don't know what anyone that's open right now. So that we wanted to make sure that students were prepared and able to be eligible before. We're hoping and expecting our testing centers to be open on the 18th. We never know what's going to happen, but we're we're really that um, that's going to be allowing students to be able to take um, the exam. Another initiative that we took that really is going to help our students is that we moved up our adaptive examination. We are going through a, uh, we were going through in twenty of the process of offering the linear exams. The linear is that when you offer the examinations in, in windows, and you have to do that as it's, it's a whole calibration process that you have to do typically after a job analysis content outline change. Well, thanks to the hard work of our staff and our psychometrician, which psychometrician means an, an exam statistician, and our testing administration folks from Pearson View, we were able to move up the adaptive exams that were happening in July and move them up to May 18th so that we can have a continuous year-round examination for our students and that there won't be a break for them. And we really worked hard. Our staff really put our heads together along with our board to make these things happen so that we can get students on board to be able to apply and take these exams. And Mina, if I can add two to this, um, and this is really a testimony to the amazing staff and Mina's 
new position. And she's, this is her first full year as CEO and she is amazing. But, you know, so. <laughs> you didn't know knew. what you were she getting knew. into, she, did you, Nina? She knew. <laughs> Just well, not COVID-19. But the thing with um, us updating our systems is that the turnaround time from the time you actually finish your exams and are able to actually get that information out is down. I believe it's less than a week now. I mean, so that's incredible. So that means that once you get everything done, that turnaround time is really quick. So you're not waiting months and months waiting, you know, in order to get licensed. Like it's, it's short on our end. Um, And having that adaptive exam, you know, you get your results. It's, it's really so much, more to the benefit. And it, it's really a testament to, to Mina and her staff. So, And, and Michael, I want to let your viewers, your audience know that, that we are 100% operational. We know that a lot of the offices, non-essentials are closed in DC, but my whole staff and I, we've set up our whole headquarters to be remote and, oper- and, and paperless a year and a half ago. So we're, as soon as this happened, we were ready and we had everything ready to go. Yeah. We haven't had any slowdown of services. Um, everything's paperless. For those that are certified or diplomates who are calling mm-hmm. and need the extra help and time to be able to get their CEs together, we're also working with them as well. And they can call. You know, that was actually my next question. For people that are in the process of recertifying, how's that going to look? Especially, let's say that maybe there's some hands-on stuff that they want to do, but there's no one teaching hands-on right now. And, and right now with the NCCOM, if you want to learn some skill level material, you have to do it in person. You can't do it online. I'm wondering what you're looking at in terms of that. Thank you for asking that, that question. So the first thing we're doing is is that we um, are working really one-on-one with every single dipl- NCCM diplomat that calls. We have had really a lot of training with our staff to be able to help them. If someone needs more time to be able to get PDA, uh, professional development activity credit, we give them that time. We give them a grace period. If someone says, look, I'm just in a bind right now. Can I have a couple, little bit longer to be able to pay? Uh, we'll give them that grace period. We really work with them individually. In terms of um, um, our, our um, PDA-approved courses, so NCCOM has a whole department that approves the courses that are out there. They approve the provider, and then, of course, they approve the courses. So we also saw the need to be able to, just like ACOM, put together some guidelines for clinical courses online. We are actually doing the same thing right now. I'm actually working with Afwa and some of my other board members to look at the guidelines to accept clinical um, courses for continuing education. And uh, I've already gotten several calls from some of our providers who say, we, we want to teach clinical. We want to be able to do CE clinical. Um, you know, And again, we know there's challenges for that, but with certain technology and really looking at the outcomes of what they want to see, clinical, we can work with them by putting these guidelines together. It doesn't mean we're going to start accepting clinical courses. They have to meet these guidelines. And so we're working on that right now. That'll hopefully be something that um, we'll be able to implement and have our providers be able to meet those needs so that we can offer some of these, um, what we'll, we'll, we'll let you call them, um, clinical courses where they're actually taking new skills or being able to do some technical work. We know it's not the same as a face-to-face. But again, it, it's we anticipate that there's going to be some time where we're going to be most a lot of our courses are going to be online. And again, as as I said earlier, you know, with the reports from from the CDC, we might be going in and out of this COVID nineteen you know period. We want to make sure that we're prepared to be able to offer these courses. Mm-hmm. 
Are you at liberty to talk about what some of those guidelines might be, what the important aspects of those are for you? Well, I think, again, I mentioned outcomes and measurement and metrics. We want, we want to make sure that when you're actually putting together a course content outline for um, the clinical course, we want you to, first of all, have immediately, what are the outcomes? What are the metrics that you want each of the, each of your courses to be able to measure? What do you want that that student that's watching this to be able to do after they've completed it. And then from there, we're really looking at um, the whole process of, um, and again, this is all draft, we haven't really finalized it. We're really looking at the process of technology and and and, if, and they have to have the right technology and the right definition of skills to be able to teach. Like for example, it, you can't just have some a talking head like myself getting up in front of an audience and teaching a, a clinical course. You have to have some, some actual, um, techniques to be able to show that you're doing a, a clinical class. And then there are some things that are going to be very difficult to be able to do clinically. Like when you're thinking about certain types of needling, you know, um, and when you're having a face-to-face class and the, the student's able to actually needle on on, on, on on themselves or another, this is what we're doing. We're looking at a contract mm-hmm. here that they put together, which is on their website. We're looking at a couple of different professions. The chiropractors have put together some um, online uh, continuing education, so we're looking at them. And of course, the physicians as well. I mean, this is not just us in the healthcare industry. A lot of, uh, not just allied health, physicians, nurses, they're all having to do this. So again, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of good information out there that we're going to incorporate into our guidelines. Okay. So there's other groups out there. And in some ways you can look at, all right, what are the best practices and what are the best practices? Well, that's evolving right now. It's a moving target. It is, it, is, it is a moving target. And we're hoping technology is going to get better and better for us to be able to do that. You think about it, um, Michael, about 25 years ago, um, the point location exam was a face-to-face exam. And, and, I don't, and there's folks I'm sure <laughs> listening that remember that. They had yeah. to actually go yeah. There was a person that sat there and you actually had to needle that person. So we, we actually took that portion of it and created the point location exam now through technology that we uh, partners that we work with. And it's a it's a really nice exam for those people who have taken the recent exam. It's very easy. I mean, it's you can see the technology actually shows the, the anatomy and three D technology. So this is the kind of work that we want to be doing now at, at the continuing education level to be able to have providers be able to use that technology to be able to do clinical courses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I keep thinking of moments like this in Chinese. The way that you say, the way that you write, um, crisis is danger and opportunity. Weiji. It's not just a story that actually is how you write the word crisis. It's, it's, it's opportunity and danger put together. We've talked a bit about some of the opportunities. I don't want to end this on a down note. We're going to come back to some other stuff, but I'm, I would like to hear from you. What are some, what are some of your concerns for this moment? What are some things we should keep our eyes peeled for and to be aware of and to watch out for? I would start off by saying that this is a time we don't have time for political discord or infighting or fragmentation anymore. We just don't. This is the time when we have to work together. And my biggest concern is, and again, we all, honestly, we've had fragmentation in the profession for, for a very long time. We all know that. There's, and again, and not just fragmentation in the practice styles or what somebody's speaking here, what somebody's speaking here, but just disagreements about, you know, um, everything from hours of education to, you know, what we call ourselves 
So now is the time that we have to really put all that aside because we have to work together. We have to use um, this opportunity to come out better in the end. So we're pausing. How can we come up better in terms of um, learning from our mistakes and being able to work together? Um, that's one of the, my biggest frustrations within the profession. We've been here 17 years. It's just because of movement and discipline. We don't have time for that anymore. And, and again, this is not just a short-lived situation. This is going to be going on and on in terms of what's happening with, with this epidemic. So that's one of the dangers that I see us falling into, the trap that we can fall into, continue that pattern of disagreement. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading in school, they had us read some of the classics. I remember reading uh, Paul Unschold's uh, The Nanjing, which very short paragraphs of Nanjing and then like six pages of commentary. Yeah. And those six pages of commentary were doctors throughout the ages. And you know what they were doing? They were arguing with each other, right? So I understand and I, and I hear what you're saying that in some way, if we can come together with uh, some kind of solidarity, mm-hmm. yeah. that would be really helpful. At the same time, Chinese medicine is by its very nature. It's not Chinese medicine, it's Chinese medicines. It's incredibly pluralistic. Have you got some ideas on how we can get together and and work together and still have those differences? I think what Mina is really trying to focus on is we're not, you know, it's not about one thing being better than another. It's really about what are the what are really more of the commonalities? What's our end goal? And if our end goal is for our profession to remain a, a viable profession, if one of our end goals is to have the option of being in an integrative setting and to have multiple mm-hmm. ways that you can practice. So I love being in private practice, but it I know other people who would love to work in a hospital or an integrative medicine clinic if that or a VA center. If that is our goal to have as many options as we possibly can, there are some very basic things that we need to not publicly discredit each other about. There have been, both Mina and I have heard people in high up in the VA high up in um, federal regulations in terms of CMS and HHS, who have said, you all need to come with one message because we're set. And then all of a sudden there are five other people who are saying, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. And that has really been Mm -hmm. damaging because it discredits our whole profession. And it's often about things that really, when you sit in a room, it's really things that people, for the most part, don't disagree on. It's it's a few people who sometimes are shaking up the system when the system doesn't really need to be shaken. There's, there's We're established. It, people know acupuncture works. People get that. I would say the danger is that we, that acupuncture and our medicine as a whole gets treated like a modality that Everyone else adds to their scope because we're so busy infighting that people are like, I don't even want to deal with you. I can, I've got five nurses and a bunch of PTs and they've got needles and they're good to go. I mean, we are, we are at that critical point that if, if we don't, Mm -hmm. if we don't unify 
from and I'm and we're talking about some basics. I mean, national certification. I know mm-hmm. sometimes people in our profession we don't like we're anti-establishment. You got to get over it. <laughs> the The criteria for any profession is basically you need national boards. If you're talking about medical professions, independent healthcare practitioners, you are talking about national boards. That's it. But we are talking about national boards. People like simple one thing, one thing, one criteria. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and it it shows that that a profession has its act together. It shows that there's some coherency. So really, it's a matter of focusing on our commonalities, which we, which we also have. We have our di- do we have our differences? Hey, you know. Six acupuncturists in a room, you got eight opinions. We we all have our differences, but yes, we have our commonalities. And, and here's the other thing I heard you say, and this this really this kind of fits for me. And that is do what we can to keep our options open. Right. I, I'm I FYI, I'm like you. I, I've got this little private practice. I'm happy to have my little private practice. If I had to go to work in a hospital, guess what? I'd do a different job. I, I just have no interest in going to a hospital. And I would love it if those opportunities were available for those who would like to do it. So the, so the idea of focusing on our commonalities, in many ways, we're much more similar than different. And recognizing that if we can create more opportunities for all of us, then we're all going to do better. And I guess there has to be some kind of standardization, which again, is, is a little tricky as acupuncturists. I think you put your finger right on it, Ephra. We're a little bit anti-establishment. And yet at the same time, it, you know, it's like being in a marriage or any kind of relationship. Got to learn how to, how to work a balance to that. Right. And, and when, when you're, as Hua mentioned, when you're talking to the federal government, whether it's the VA or working with your mm-hmm. labor statistics, they, they're like, we don't want to sit down and deal with 47 different practice acts. We want to look at one national standard and that's what it is. And that's, that's, that's why we really want to emphasize that to all of our constituents and stakeholders. So like oftentimes I'll go into a, a state legislative body and be providing information about NCCM and our own acupuncturists get up and testify against me. It's just like, really, we're here to be able to promote our medicine and our standards. And, and you're going to be taught because you have a difference of opinion or you, are, you don't like the NCCM. So some of it is confusion about the mission of safety that we have. And some of it is about being able to say that I'm right or I'm better, which which is, or I think differently. And again, we have to put that, we don't have time for that. COVID is changing the face of how we do business. We have to really be able to put together messaging, public messaging. We have to put away the differences. We can, you know, and it's like that duck that might be paddling underwater, but over the surface looks very organized. And that's what we have to do. We have to agree on who we are. And how we can benefit to the public. The public doesn't care about whether this person does Japanese versus PTM versus five elements. They want to be able to know how we can help them, how we can have them overcome their mental health or their pain or their addiction. That's what they want to do. And that's what we need to be able to work together towards. That's great. I, it's a, I so appreciate that message. Let's look for where our commonalities are. Put some fo- If we could put as least as much focus on that as we do our differences, we might, we might have a good, uh, a good mix here. Yeah. Great. Um, anything that you'd like to share before we wind this down? Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for for coming along with me on this today. It's such a it's a pertinent moment. I you know we put this together kind of at the last minute, so thank you so much for making this happen. Any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners before we wind it down here? 
keep doing your best. <laughs> I, I think, you know, really going back to going back to our training and can really using that to guide your own philosophy of practice, think about the reasons why you became a practitioner. Um, and then, yeah, keep moving forward. I mean, there's, there's always a way to do something and to move forward. So I, I think, yeah, I always joke with my kids and they hate me saying it, but I'm like, keep hope alive is it's the only thing we've got, but <laughs> I know that, but but it's really, there's, there's so many opportunities right now. I know a lot of people are anxious and they're scared and freaked out about money. And as I'm reminded, when I learn of somebody passing away, it's like, I'm healthy. I can always recover from anything mm-hmm. else. We have each other as resources. I mean, I thank you, Michael, for, for putting this podcast and keeping it going for so long. I know it's been a, it's been a journey and a labor of love and I'm so happy for your success with it, but we, uh, we appreciate you and everything that you've contributed to the profession too. Thank you. Mina? Along the line, reminders of what I mentioned. Um, and again, I know we hear this all over the time that we're in this together. We're, I think it's important for us to continue to connect. That's why you're here. That's why uh, you know, there's going to be, um, listeners coming in and connecting with you. So we do appreciate the opportunity to be able to get the information out. Also that um, we do have a lot of information for those people who are going through financial difficulties. Um, we we realize that our lobbyists are not able to go out and lobby Congress right now. So we, really, we align themselves to be able to provide information on the CARES package stimulus and benefits that'll ha- um, help, you know, independent practitioners, whether they're in an integrative setting or solo. So a lot of that information is on our website. I really encourage mm-hmm. um, those that are going through difficulties and want to find out what their financial options are. Look at, uh, we've created a whole COVID-19 update on our website. We actually took a state map of and put all of the state information state by state. So we're tr- continuously updating that. We encourage everyone to look at that. And again, it's, it's about, as I mentioned, coming out better in the end. What, what are we doing right now? reflection time what are we doing that we can be doing better looking inward towards ourselves and you're really looking at ways that we connect to each other and moving forward and putting aside those differences so that we can come back better in the end and really use this medicine to help heal people during the aftermath of covid we got a lot of work to do don't we yes great well thanks again for joining me today be well nothing like a good crisis to shake things up. One of my takeaways from today's conversation, and it's more a question than an answer, is how can we find a way to be united as a profession and at the same time respect our differences? It feels like a Zen koan, doesn't it? And yet it's those puzzle not questions that encourage us to grow beyond the limits that we've set for ourselves. It's the beginning of May as this podcast goes out, and that means... In a few months, we're coming up to the third anniversary of Geological. Wow. You never know what might happen when you follow a little hunch. We have a little tradition here of bringing on a listener of the podcast for the anniversary show. So if you'd like to join me for this special podcast episode, send me an email or a postcard or a drawing or a song or hit the record button on your computer and simply talk to me. I would love to have one of you join me. We can talk about anything you want. You can interview me. You can rant. You can rave. We can tell jokes. Or just sit down for a cup of tea or a whiskey 
and simply have ourselves a geological chat. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.